This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. Our shows are recorded and will be uploaded to our SoundCloud and iTunes after the show. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. And this is Anna for Indigo Radio. I am recording from my house, basically in a huge basket, (laughs) trying to figure out the best sound. And I want to thank all of the WVEW DJs that have been working so hard to make sure we all learn how to do this from our homes and for keeping us on the air uh, and community radio alive. So today's show, we are focusing on the impact of COVID-19 on survivors of violence and those living in abusive homes right now. We spoke this past week with the director of the Women's Freedom Center here in town and also the Women's Freedom Center's legal advocate. The Women's Freedom Center provides vital services to survivors of violence throughout Wyndham County with offices both in Brattleboro and Springfield. Anyone can be affected by violence and it is also important to note that it is a public health issue that disproportionately affects women, trans women, and gender nonconforming individuals. We're gonna start with a song and then we will be back to play the first part of the interview with Vicki from the Women's Freedom Center. This is Patty Smith with Gloria. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine.
that was Patty Smith with Gloria, and you're listening to Indigo Radio. This is Anna, and today we're talking about the impact of the pandemic and stay-at-home uh, or shelter-in-place orders on intimate partner violence. We're going to go to the first uh, part of the interview with Vicki, who is the director at the Women's Freedom Center. We're here with Vicki, who is the director of the Women's Freedom Center in Brattleboro. And Vicki, could you tell our listeners a bit about the overall services of the Women's Freedom Center and what regions you serve? Yeah, sure. So the Women's Freedom Center is the domestic and sexual violence organization in Wyndham and Southern Windsor counties. And so that means we have an office in Brattleboro, and we also have an office up in Springfield so that we can serve the all the towns in those two areas, those two counties. And we offer a hotline, which is confidential and be, can be called 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have shelter for survivors and their children who are fleeing domestic and or sexual violence. We offer safety planning, which is individualized and it really is about supporting survivors and what is right for them, whether they're in a an abusive relationship, they want to leave it or they have left. We also provide emergency financial resources. Those are things like food, gas, phone cards. Additionally, there's the advocacy that we do that's looking really different right now. Um, mm-hmm. But typically what that is, is uh, providing support to survivors at the hospital when they go for a sexual assault exam or going with them to court, or um, offering advocacy with the welfare system, or mm-hmm. the police, law enforcement kinds of um, situations. You know, we also offer access to legal representation. Not everyone knows about that project that we have. And I know you'll be speaking to Donna um, mm-hmm. about that. And But that's really about free legal referrals and some limited legal representation for survivors. And um, again... Under normal, typical circumstances, we do outreach in our communities and education and prevention work in schools and with other area organizations, mm-hmm. and we offer a support group. Yeah, and I, as someone, of course, that has worked at the Freedom Center, I think that what a lot of people don't know, and I think is unique in a lot of social services, is that someone can just walk up to the office mm-hmm. if they need help and if they know where that location is yeah. or someone can call and we can invite them in right away, which I think is so essential in this type of work. Yeah. It's uh, very nimble in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I want to ask you, and, and you kind of alluded to it is I've been seeing a number of reports about the impact of uh, domestic violence survivors right now. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show uh, for our own town for people to hear and is what has uh, been the impact of crisis services during mm-hmm. a shelter in place order and how has that changed the day to day work of the Freedom Center? Yeah, well, so we like many other organizations had to really quickly assess um, our ways of working and our capacity in order to really move to a remote system of providing support. And I'd say fortunately, because we're a crisis center and have the 24-hour hotline, we already had some systems in place to help with the shift. And so at this point, all access for support is happening through our hotline, which as you know, is in operation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's impacted a number of aspects about the way advocates do the work. 
um, because we're no longer able to physically go to the ER to provide that in-person support Mm -hmm. to survivors of sexual Mm -hmm. assault. Um, That's now done telephonically. And the same is true for relief from abuse orders. You know, uh, typically there's quite a bit of in-person support that's offered through that process. And now that's all being done via phone. You know, so it's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think we're all just trying to figure it out as best we can and make sure we're as, a, as available as possible. Um, yeah. I know I mentioned the support group too. And, you know, prior to this crisis, this pandemic, um, we actually had a really robust weekly support group happening. And that hasn't always been the case, but, you know, it, it got to a place where it really was. And it was really difficult to make that decision to end that. So we've been talking about things we can do. Um, and so what we're going to do is a way to try to uh, provide some connection for survivors beginning April 6th, which is the Monday after this upcoming one. We're going to offer an online and phone in support group every weekday from 12 to 1 p.m. And we know that's only going to, you know be helpful for people who have internet access and are safe uh, enough to reach out in this way, but Mm -hmm. it's it's something, you know, it's, it's an offering. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What would you say are your concerns for women in abusive situations right now Mm -hmm. that of course are in this shelter in place order and maybe have kids that are home uh, and maybe their abuser is home now all the time or not working. What are, what would you say your main concerns around that? Yeah. Well, as you know, you know, because abuse is about power and control advantage, you know, abusers take advantage of any and all circumstances really where they can exploit and exert it. And so this pandemic and the shelter at home order, though completely understandable, um, it just gives abusers another opportunity, right? They can, use this time to further isolate survivors from their loved ones, their connections. Um, They can further restrict their movements. Um, They might even, you know, control their interactions online, limiting their access to the outside world. Um, I worry that their access to news and other outlets will be limited and that the abuser might be the only source of information They might be able to make survivors believe that there aren't any resources available for them. You know, that maybe the police aren't responding to domestic violence situations or that crisis centers aren't open anymore. So I think it's really important that, you know, that information gets out and people know that we are open and available um, to help. Also Mm -hmm. worry about, though we know that situations like this or, or downturns in the economy don't cause domestic violence, it can intensify and increase the actual incidents that are happening in an already abusive relationship, right? So they're spending more time with their um, batters. There's no real respite if everyone's home together. So they might experience new or different types of abuse. I mean, those are, yeah, it's just that. It's that further isolation and lack of the, you know, the ability, lack thereof to connect with us. Yeah. And I know there's, you have taught me this actually when I was doing my own training and work at the Women's Freedom Center. I've often heard you talk about how some of our work is trying to make women actually safer within their own Mm -hmm. home. And knowing that a lot of people that reach out to us may not end up leaving that relationship or being able to leave that relationship and that we're supporting survivors drawing something, we're supporting women after it. 
I'm wondering if you could let our listeners know what are some ways that in a time like that, this someone who is experiencing abuse in the home could be safer in the home? Yeah, that's such an important question and such a hard one, I think, to answer. Um, There's so many, this is so new um, in so many ways, but I, what we do know is that survivors are really good at knowing a multitude of ways, right, to keep themselves as safe as they can while living with an abuser. Although they may not have been doing it sort of 24 hours a day prior to this, they have been doing it. You know, some safety tips that we can offer are things like, you know, trying to find the safest room. And again, I wouldn't call it a safe room because when you're quarantined at home with your abuser, uh, no room is really going to be safe. But that's looking at, you know, maybe there's an area of someone's home where they could go if things start to escalate, where there aren't, there's not easy access to weapons. Um, and maybe there are exits available. You know, kitchens are definitely one of those places you want to try and move away from if things are escalating. Have someone to have an actual exit plan in case they do need to flee, you know, for them to have some sense of where they might go or what they might be able to do. And again, that might not right now, there may not be any real exit plan other than calling 911, to be quite honest, right? Mm -hmm. I think thinking about supplies, food, medication that they have and that they might need to take with them, in fact, if they do, in fact, need to leave really quickly And if their abuser happens to go out for any reason, you know, could they think about, could they pack an emergency bag um, that would have Mm -hmm. things like that, that medication and maybe some keys, clothes, things like that. You know, this is the part of the safety planning that we do when we're able to actually really connect with survivors. And it really is difficult thinking about how you talk about doing this when people might not even be able to, they might not hear this, they might not be able to call us, but, you know, if somebody knows someone who needs support and they're able to pass on some of this, it would be, you know, it's important. Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask you that about if, because, you know, we both know that most of us either have been affected directly by this type Mm -hmm. of violence or know someone that has been. And so would you give any advice for family members or friends that know that someone that they love is in a situation like this right now? I think, you know, staying in touch with them as much as, as they can, you know, and checking in with that person about what's actually feasible. You certainly don't want to do anything that's going to escalate something, you know, and if the abuser, the abuser's okay with maybe a weekly phone call and that can continue happening, but wouldn't be okay if, you know, you started calling every day or every other day, you want to be aware of that. You want to know, like, Mm -hmm. just sort of check in. And I think letting, if you're able to be in touch with that person, letting them know that if things get bad, that 911 is still responding to domestic violence, Mm -hmm. that there are still safe places to go if needed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just the, I think the reminder too, that as difficult as it is that we need to remember that survivors have been doing just that surviving Mm -hmm. in their relationships for a long time and are incredibly smart about, you know, just knowing what they need to do to sort of make it through. I think that what we're going to see is when things start to open up a little more and people are able to go out into the community again, I imagine we're going to have such an uptick in our calls because we know that there are so many survivors that right now do not have even a moment 
where they're not monitored, where they could actually make a call to us. So it's, yeah. yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about that because I think that there can be a misconception right now that you're flooded with phone calls Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. and actually what you were just saying is that there's a lot of, there might be monitoring or someone might not be able to make a call. So if you could speak to that and also within that, could you also talk about kind of on average, how many people we are serving? Sure. If you think about in a, or the best way to describe that, whether that's like in, in a year or sure. um, uh, what, what the usual is like for us. Yep. So first part of that question with, you know, what th- people thinking that we might be inundated right now with calls. No, it's not. What we're seeing right now are kind of the two ends of the spectrum. Those survivors for whom their lives are really on the line and are, are absolutely needing to call 911 to get assistance, and then they're getting connected, right? Because there's been some sort of intervention in the home that allows them to actually then make a connection. Or survivors who are, and I'm going to again put this in quotes, like safe enough to call us because perhaps the abuse they're experiencing is not of the physical sort and that they still have some freedom of motion and they're really look, they're struggling, right? And they're really looking for emotional support. The broadest group of um, survivors are the ones or people who really right now are, are stuck at home with their batters and cannot safely connect. And we know that whenever there's been mm-hmm. any sort of disaster, it's, it's what tends to happen that during the time people are just they're they've just got to make it through, right? Like they've got to yeah. figure out how to make it through. And then once they can, they will reach out. Um, and as far as numbers, typically, so this last year we sheltered about 120 um, survivors. We, and it's, you know, that's about three to four times as many as we used to, you know, we expanded mm-hmm. our capacity uh, several years ago and we also use some motels now. So we've really been able to support many more survivors in that way, but still mm-hmm. the majority of, of the people we work with don't ever come into shelter. So this last year, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but off the top of my head, I, I think we were somewhere around 600, maybe five, just under 600 um, non-duplicated. So that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. the count of survivors we supported and then did, you know, supported them in a, in a variety of ways. And some people are connect with us once, as you know, and some people stay connected with us and we're providing support for, it can be months or years. That was Vicki you were listening to. She is the director of the Women's Freedom Center. Vicki was giving some good information about being safer in a home. And just a couple days ago, there was a webinar in which Angela Davis spoke, and she has long spoken about gender violence. And one of the things that she said, and I'm quoting her here, she said, this whole idea of staying at home assumes we can retreat to a safe, nurturing environment, a refuge. And that's an important thing to remember that not everyone is safe within their homes. We're going to go to a song break and we'll be back to part two of Vicky's interview.
Franklin with Peace of My Heart, and you are with Indigo Radio every Sunday at noon on WVEW, Brattleboro Community Radio. We're going to go back to the second part of my interview with Vicki from the Women's Freedom Center. And speaking out, since you brought up the shelter, I was going to ask you about that too, knowing, mm-hmm. of course, you can't give details about the shelter. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if there's an impact on the shelter services right now yeah. and... What are the obstacles around safe housing for women in general right now? Because I'm sure it's impacting uh, a lot of that too. Yeah. So we're supporting, we do have survivors in the shelters. Um, And so what we're doing right now is we're we're making sure they have what they need. We've been doing that. We we really um, did a lot of prep work on the front end before, you know, we actually started moving to being more remote or -hmm. providing more remote support. But it involves daily check-ins to make sure everyone's doing well, not just physically, but also emotionally. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an incredibly challenging time for, for really all of us. But when you add the additional stressors, right, of having fled your home due to violence and um, you're in, a, in sort of a communal living space, it's even more difficult. But so far, everyone is safe and healthy. It does... One of the impacts is that in you know, the best practices right now that are coming down, um, and we agree with, is to not have more um, families in shelter than you have sort of individual bathrooms and mm-hmm. bedrooms. And as you know, we always, we never had survivors double up, so we were good there, but we've had to really mm-hmm. think about bathroom space, what happens if and when we need to isolate. So without giving a lot away about our spaces and things like that, we've, we have it set up so that we have a space where someone could isolate if necessary. And, you know, we're feeling good about that and we're feeling good about what's happening in the shelter. But unfortunately it means we can't bring new people into the actual shelter space. Mm -hmm. So we're using some alternative forms of sheltering for, for anyone who needs that at this point in time. So yeah, it's, it's definitely impacted and, you know, there's the housing issue, (laughs) you know, because the idea is shelter is a short-term emergency space and in the best of times, housing can be really difficult to find. And right now everything is really just more difficult, but we're also providing supports there. We're continuing to provide the housing search supports and housing application work we were actually able to move a survivor into their own housing right at the outset of this crisis, which was mm-hmm. fantastic. And we yeah, have another great. one moving into their own housing this next week. So those are, I know, yeah, right. And but, I know your work is so intertwined with other support services in town. So I imagine that there must be a lot of coordination. Is that mm-hmm. right? With other services? There is. There are, you know, every area now is, has their own, um, I mean, multiple, I would say, crisis response teams. Um, we're working closely with the homeless crisis response team mm-hmm. in Brattleboro. There's also one in Springfield with, um, and that's where really all organizations are coming together, those who work on issues of uh, homelessness and trying to help figure out what, what this is going to look like, what, what people yeah. need, how it's going to happen, what needs to happen. Yeah. And that's coordinated, uh, you know, through this, the state is involved in that. And I know that there's been a lot of anxiety. I've 
read about and heard about um, on a local level and people worrying about where people, which is wonderful that people are concerned about that. And I think it's good for them to know yeah. that there is that coordination happening to help people who are without housing, who are most vulnerable, have a place to be, making sure they're not sort of out and more vulnerable because of it, because they're just sort of yeah. nowhere to, to shelter in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is really good to hear. And I just want to uh, also ask you if there's, I mean, the Freedom Center, it really has such essential services and some people may not know about them. So I'm glad that we're getting this out on mm-hmm. the air too. And I want to ask if there's anything else that you would want our listeners to know either about the services, about domestic violence in general, uh, if there's anything that you want to add. Mm. I appreciate that question. I want, I'd like people to know that we're, we're in it. Um, We're going to remain a support for those experiencing domestic violence and or sexual violence um, that we are set up to make sure that we can, we can really see people through this crisis. And if people are wanting, I know that there's so many people who want to know what they can do and just to help in the community we could quite honestly use donations of things like food cards and um, gas cards. You know, some other, the other Groundworks is able to really utilize volunteers to do food deliveries and things like that. But because of the confidential nature and the safety issues involved in our work, we can't do that. But being able to, if people were looking to want to make some donations, those things, those, those items would be really valuable to us. They'd be really helpful. Okay. That's really important to know. And what we can do with Indigo Radio too, is make sure that we put that on our, out on our Facebook. So we'll make sure that we do that. that um, that's right. something I wouldn't have thought about. So that's, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Vicki, thank you so much. I feel like this is such important information that needs to get out. So I want to thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you so much for, for doing this. We really appreciate it.
That was a song called Quiet, and if you are just joining us, this is Anna for Indigo Radio, and we are spending the hour talking about the impact of COVID-19 for those that are experiencing violence in the home. We're going to go to Donna, who is the legal advocate for the Women's Freedom Center, and play part one of her interview. We are talking with Donna from the Women's Freedom Center. And Donna, you are the legal advocate. Can you tell our listeners a bit of the work that you do and what kind of advocacy uh, that looks like for a legal advocate? Absolutely. So the Legal Advocate at the Women's Freedom Center is accustomed to talking with survivors about their goals and their needs around safety planning, and then just really looking at what tools the court may have to offer in terms of providing safety and separation from someone who's using violence. So some of those tools are a relief from abuse order or a sexual assault or stalking order that really gives somebody the opportunity to say, I want somebody to stay away from me. I want them to to be removed from my living space. I want custody of my children if I have them. Um, I want them to to be mandated to stay away from my motor vehicle and my place of employment if I'm working outside the home. So uh, we look at all of that. We can also at times provide survivors with consultations with attorneys if they have in-court hearings that they feel nervous about or have a hard time imagining talking in front of the person that's been abusing them. It's really helpful to have an attorney to support them through that process. And I talked to Vicki a couple days ago about what the impact of COVID-19 and a shelter at home is on domestic violence survivors and people experiencing abuse in the home. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how legal services have been interrupted for survivors at this time. Sure. There has been the Supreme, the Vermont Supreme Court issued an administrative order that outlines a judicial emergency that right now is in effect until April 15th. And I think that date may be extended beyond the middle of April. But what that means is the court is still completely committed to providing access to emergency relief. Um, so RFAs can still be filed, RFAs, relief abusers, can still be filed and processed, but they are only accepting, you know, applications for emergency-related cases. So you can't file to modify something or extend something or vacate something. So it's really a limited access. And also, the, the public is not able to just go in the courthouse like we typically can. The courthouse is an open place. Most hearings are open to the public in our judicial system, but um, this particular virus has created changes so that if you're filing something, the paperwork is available right in the entrance of the courthouse, and one of the court clerks or security officers will actually do the filing. So there's still emergency access, but a lot of typical hearings are not going to be held during this time. And for those typical hearings that aren't held, how is that going to impact some survivors or some people that are trying to navigate that right now? Great question. So I've been thinking about that. And, you know, what I what I came to is I think there is 
a differential a lot of times between what a judge might consider an emergency and what a survivor who is actually in an abusive relationship and navigating those kinds of dangers feels as an emergency. So I'm concerned about that differential. And I think, you know, some, like I got a call the other day from somebody who was really feeling the need to proceed with a divorce hearing, really feeling the need to get um, her abuser off certain documents of hers, and those kinds of things are stalled. So what I would suggest is, I think that's where advocates at the Freedom Center can be really helpful, um, because we can help amplify the voice of the survivor even during this interim period. Um, and we can do that in a number of ways. We can utilize our allies at Vermont Legal Aid to talk things through to see if there's another way to get something filed with the court. Um, so we're really encouraging people who are listening to not hesitate to pick up the phone and call because even though you know there are some, some limitations placed, we understand that people's lot, people are really feeling danger in their lives now and some of these things cannot be postponed safely. And Vicki talked about how 911 definitely is, of course, still responding to uh, any kind of domestic violence call. Could you tell us uh, if you know what possibly survivors might expect if they call 911 right now? Sure. Um, I think with confidence, I can say that a survivor can expect a response from law enforcement. And my understanding from recent conversations with some um, higher ups in law enforcement in Brattleboro is they still make every effort to send two officers out if it's a domestic and that, you know, there would be an opportunity for someone who is experiencing violence or danger to be separated from the person who is doing the harm. Um, and during that time, we have been in touch with our local law enforcement officers to really outline the additional concerns that survivors face during a period of isolation where, you know, maybe their abuser is home and their children are there and there's no opportunity to make a safe call or very little opportunity to go to a neighbor's. So officers are aware of those additional concerns and they're also aware of the danger of arriving on a scene, asking a few questions and then leaving and not knowing what's going to happen next. So we have done some safety planning and provided some suggestions to police about how they can shore up those gaps right now. Yeah, and actually on that, I think it'd be important for our listeners to hear about the type of training and conversations that you have with both court and police, because that is something that I think that you've been doing for quite a while. Are there things that would be helpful for people to know about our interactions with the police department and their helping around understanding the nuances of domestic violence? Another great question. Thank you. So we are constantly um, talking with our local law enforcement officers in many, many different ways about the, the subtleties of domestic violence, the importance of determining the predominant aggressor. So who in any given situation is afraid of whom? Um, we're also you know, making sure that our officers are understanding the additional sort of risks and um, things that folks in the 
in the trans community are facing. We're um, educating them about lots of different ways that people feel oppressed by law enforcement and the history of, you know, things like racism and misogyny and trying to get officers to have a vocabulary that is really respectful and responsive and to pay close attention to what people are saying and um, in as much as they're able to respect what people are asking to have happen. And law enforcement, of course, are mandated. For example, if they arrive at a scene and they see that somebody has been physically injured under the law, um, that constitutes probable cause and they are required to make an arrest. And I think it's important for people to know that because a lot of times people pick up the phone, call 911 and just want to be safe. They're not necessarily wanting there to be a criminal case open. So I think it's important to know that if there has been physical violence and the officer discovers that, that they have a responsibility to make an arrest. So mm-hmm. choicefulness is really key. That is Donna from the Women's Freedom Center that you're listening to. And we are going to go to a song break and come back with part two of her interview. True story. <laughs> no glory. Let's go. Yeah, the old me used to love a Gemini. Like a more serious than with them every night. A lot of two-faced people show me both sides. So I figured out I got to be my own type. They used to say to get a man, he had to know how to look. They used to say to keep a man, you had to know how to look. But I'm so Oh, 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 
that's Lizzo with Soulmate, and you are listening to Indigo Radio. We were just talking with Donna, the legal advocate at the Women's Freedom Center, and she was explaining about when a survivor calls the police and the nuances around that. And we're going to go to part two, continuing on the discussion with the police and why a survivor might decide that she does not want to call the police. Yeah, and I also, on that, I feel like another really important thing that I would love for you to talk about is that some survivors either don't want the police called or, like what you said, don't want charges. And oftentimes there's a misconception and often blaming of the survivor, very often women, of, well, why wouldn't you just have him arrested or why don't you just leave or why don't you call the police? Can you give us a little bit of why a survivor might not do that? Absolutely. I think um, I think if we really think about the reality of living with somebody, you know, oftentimes having children with somebody, sharing a living space with someone, being economically intertwined, still having feelings for that person, oftentimes feeling responsible or feeling like something the survivor did contributed to the um, violent act, fear of Um, economic devastation, not being able to stay in your apartment, feed your family, all kinds of things come into play. Um, It really has to be like best case scenario is that survivors get to tell those of us who are responding what would be helpful and what would um, increase their stress and their sense of devastation or their feeling of powerlessness. And not all systems are designed to listen well or to really be able to respect those choices. So I think it's just really key for us as members of our culture and community and those of us who do this work to always be listening to survivors about what would be helpful. And then when we know taking a certain step begins a ball, you know, gets a ball rolling that they cannot stop, it's really important to give that information up front as well. Yeah, that's great information. The advocates of the Women's yeah. Freedom Center are not mandated reporters, um, which means that you know people survivors can talk with us about really what they're going through and what the specific concerns and dangers they're facing are, and we can hold that information in confidence. So that feels really important to say. That is. And is it also that Vermont is one of the few remaining states that is like that? Is that true? That is true. And it's a um, advocate yeah. privilege is a privilege that we have really fought for and for such valid reasons, because it really changes the dynamic when if we were to have to tell people that certain things they share with us, we would need to report to someone else that would really compromise the safety. So we have every intention of continuing to defend the need for that advocacy privilege. And I have a sort of two-part question for you about what is happening right now. And I know you've been at the Freedom Center for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in sort of the wake of this pandemic and what's going on, what do you see as the biggest challenges for the Freedom Center right now? And the second part to that question is, what do you see as the best strengths of the Freedom Center right now in this moment? Uh, Thanks for that question. I think this, I'm going to start with our strengths. 
because I've been feeling them really deeply as we connect with each other, all of us who work the center every weekday and have really creative conversations and put our minds on what survivors are up against and how we need to continue to create ways of reaching out and connecting and you know, creating a reality, like a safety net and a web for survivors. So the message I want to say is that we are right here. Like we are right here 24-7. We know we can imagine and we understand some of the additional barriers and we're working to break those down. Um, We're going to be having an online support group starting April 6th, um, every weekday from 12 to 1 um, virtual support group, just to make sure that people aren't you know, suffering from the isolation. Um, and so so our strengths are that we're constantly looking for ways to increase our capacity to provide really solid support for survivors in our communities. Um, and I think how things have changed through the pandemic is that there is a sense of isolation. You know, there is the reality of people not being able to find a moment where they can get out of their house or they can get next door or there are very few reasons and places to leave to go to. A lot of times survivors would be able to sort of get out, go pick up and drop off the kids from school, go grocery shopping, go to an appointment. And now with things closed down, I think that that's a reality, like that's a concerning reality for people that are living with someone who uses violence. So mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, we're aware of that, and yeah. and it has been wonderful, Anna, just the way that people have reached out to us, um, asking mm. what we need, asking what they can do, asking what resources would be helpful, um, getting emails and food cards and gas cards from the community. I think it's helped that there have been articles in prominent newspapers outlining domestic and sexual violence and the um, particular risks right now. And I think all of that visibility has created an increase in awareness. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's good. And before we end here, I just want to ask if there's anything else you want to add that I have not asked you that you think is important to get out there. Um, I want to honor and underscore the incredible innate brilliance that survivors have cultivated necessarily, um, the very tactics that people have used to keep themselves safe from their abusers to sort of de-escalate, those survival skills are in play and are essential right now. So I want to encourage anyone who might be struggling, who is listening, to um, honor those coping mechanisms and those survival skills. Those are what keep people safe and alive until there is an opportunity to connect with broader safety. So, um, and I wanna say again that our hotline is available 24 seven and we are here waiting to connect with anyone who has the safety to reach out to us. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you, Anna. That was Donna that you were just listening to. Donna is the legal advocate at the Women's Freedom Center here in Brattleboro. And we just want to thank both Vicki and Donna for spending time with Indigo Radio this past week. 
I think that both of them shared really important information for people to know. Um, you know, the reality is that most of us have either been directly affected by either intimate partner violence and or sexual violence, or we know someone who has been directly impacted. It's an issue that is rampant throughout the U.S. and really globally, and something that we always need to be talking about. And especially in this time, as you heard today, there are added barriers for survivors of violence. I think that notion, again, that Angela Davis talked about, where we think, um, you know, right now, sheltering in place and Home is a safe place, but home is not always a safe place for people. The other thing, too, I wanted to add is that in Vermont, where we are in southern Vermont, the Women's Freedom Center also serves a number of rural areas in the county. And in regular times, survivors of violence in rural areas already have certain challenges that are particular to these areas. Uh, such as not able to um, get to services that they need, the geographical isolation in some of these areas, the lack of transportation. I think also importantly to think about, especially right now, is the lack of internet services in certain rural areas. So these are things to think about, um, even if there has been an act of violence where someone might need emergency services, those services can get take a long time to get to those areas. So these are particular challenges in rural areas, but then added with what's going on right now, what Vicki and Donna both talked about were the additional challenges that people are facing. So we hope that this broadcast has been helpful for people. Uh, we hope that we're able to reach Many people, if you know someone that is experiencing violence, you also can call the Women's Freedom Center at any point. Their hotline is 802-254-6954. Again, that is 802-254-6954 is the hotline, and that is available 24-7. So again, if you yourself are experiencing violence and want to talk to someone, or if you know someone is and want to ask some of the advocates questions, they are always happy to take those phone calls. And before I leave, I just want to give a shout out to my other Indigo Radio co-hosts. We miss being in the studio with each other. Like I said, I'm recording basically from a huge basket in my home. Uh, and I want to also give out a big thank you to all those people working in the grocery stores, working in the pharmacies, working in cleaning, um, working in the healthcare sector, parents to teachers, crisis workers, and to everyone who is doing many challenging things during a very challenging time. We're gonna go out with Queen Latifah and we'll be back next week. Thanks, for everyone, for listening. Uh, you and I, T-Y. You and I, T-Y. That's a unity. You and I, T-Y. Love a black man from infinity to infinity. Who you calling?
you know all of that gots to go. Now everybody knows there's exceptions to this rule. I don't be getting mad when we playing, it's cool. But don't you be calling me out my name. I bring crap to those who disrespect me like a dame. That's why I'm talking. One day I was walking down the block. I had my cutoff shorts on, right? Cause it was crazy. I, I walked past these dudes when they passed me. One of them felt my booty, he was nasty. I turned around red, somebody was catching the rat. Then the little one said, Yeah. Ain't none of this work getting your face sliced Cause that's what happened to your 